1: Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our guided breathing mindfulness meditation session. This is part of our group learning program that we do on Sunday and Wednesday. On Wednesdays, we come together and practice either breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. In the past, I've also taught Buddhist chanting as well. But now we're in this part of the program where we just alternate one Wednesday being breathing mindfulness meditation and the next being loving kindness meditation. This is an opportunity for you to come together as a community to support, encourage, and motivate each other in your meditation practice. Because if you're continuing to develop your practice in order to get to enlightenment, where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, then you'll be Probably be meditating two to three times a day for 30 minutes or more. And this is an independent practice where you're doing this on your own with the body, the mind, and the breath. But it's really nice to come together with other members of your community and meditate together. So that's what we do on Wednesdays. Even though we're an online community we're spread out all throughout the world, we can come together and motivate, encourage, and support each other in our meditation practice by connecting on Zoom and live stream through Facebook, YouTube, and other places on our podcast. And we're able to come together and actually meditate and support, encourage, and motivate each other. So that's what we do on these Wednesdays. And then on Sundays, we go through this book chapter by chapter, learning each aspect of the path. And Each Sunday, I'm going to be delivering a talk, and this week on Sunday, we're going to be in Chapter 16, which is Dissolving the Ego. Ego serves no purpose. So there, I'll be sharing with you all the details of that chapter as much as I can in our allotted time in our class. But if you're reading before and or after class, this will really help you to develop your practice. And as you're learning, you're always welcome to reach out to me for guidance by posting into the Facebook group by asking questions in the online classes, by sending a private message, or scheduling a personal guidance session, because you're going to need help above and beyond just the classes. You're going to need to understand how to apply these teachings to your daily life. So that's part of what today's class on Wednesdays is all about. We come together to meditate, yes, but also we open up to any and all questions that you have, because as you're learning on this path, whether it's in the resources that I've shared or things that you maybe come across in your travels over the week, you would perhaps like some interaction to be able to ask some questions. So in these Wednesday's classes, you can of course ask questions about meditation, but you can ask any and all questions that you like about anything related to the path to enlightenment. Whether it's about applying these teachings to specific situations that you've got going on in your life whether it's about certain things you're reading or seeing or understanding in the resources that I share, perhaps there are certain aspects that you need clarification on. You can ask those kind of questions. If there's things that you're seeing in other resources that you've maybe come across and you're curious, maybe why am I teaching it differently than what you've seen in some other places? You can ask all those types of questions and others that come up. So as we meditate together, After we're done, then we're going to open up to any questions that you have related to anything on the path to enlightenment. And this is your opportunity to have some interaction and get some help from your teacher. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining regularly, welcome to our meditation session. And I'd like to invite you to take a meditation position, either seated, standing, or lying. These are the three positions that usually work really well with online training. So the lower body should be nice and comfortable. If you're on the floor, you probably are gonna cross your legs and maybe put a cushion under your rear. You're not interested in your legs being crossed real, real tight because this will cut down the circulation and cause pain in the lower body. So the lower body should be comfortable. The hands and arms should be comfortable in the lap. The way that the Buddha did this is he put his right hand over his left and his thumbs together and then he placed that in his lap. But if that's not comfortable for you, you can put your palms on your thighs on your knees you can put your hands up essentially your lower body and your hands and arms should be completely unengaged there shouldn't be any muscles that are engaged they should just be completely relaxed but the upper body is a bit different the upper body should be erect not real rigid but not slouched either in the middle it should be erect because by keeping the upper body erect This allows the mind to be attentive and alert during the meditation session because this is a purposeful, dedicated training session where we're eliminating certain qualities from the mind and we're cultivating certain qualities in the mind. So we're eliminating unwholesome qualities and arising wholesome qualities. So by keeping the upper body erect, this keeps the mind attentive and alert so that you can actively train it during meditation. Next, you would like to just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here, all you're doing is establishing the breath. You can hang out here and just work on establishing the breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Or you're welcome to join in this chance if you've done chanting and you're familiar with these chants, feel free to join along. And then I'll come back with some guidance on breathing mindfulness meditation.
2: (laughs) Hotung maker <usable> So, Patipano Makawato Sawaka Sanko Sankang Naman Napmoid Ārā Hato, some my sampootasa. Napmoid, her sap Hato,
3: ara
2: to sama sampu sa iti bi so ara to sama sampu Wejajaaran Sang Guru Sekatokawito Anu teropuri sa Dhammasatisa Manu Sanam All right, you
1: should just be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose establishing a nice, gradual inhale through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And wherever you get to it, a nice, gradual exhale through the nose, breathing in and out. your breath may not match up to the guidance that I'm providing, and that's okay, because not everyone can breathe at exactly the same time. Instead, this is your practice. So wherever you get to the next inhale, just take a nice gradual breath, breathing in through the nose, experiencing the full breath, And a nice exhale gradually out through the nose. Breathing in, in, out. Once the breath is established, start fixating the mind on the sound of the breath coming in through the nose, or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in and out. With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. No need to judge the thoughts. Label them, analyze them, or even try to figure out where they're coming from. Wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in In out. I'm going to be quiet now so that you can do this work of focusing on the breath. And whenever the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go and come back to the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. In out.
2: Samha dhāmāṅ namāsāmi supa-dhi-pāno sa I'm not A We Sakato rokawito sa dama sati Manu manusang
1: okay if you guys would like to slowly make your way out of meditation we'll go ahead and transition over to opening up to any questions that you guys have as i mentioned at the beginning of class you guys are welcome to ask any and all questions that you like related to the path to enlightenment whether it's something that you've seen in the resources that I share or whether it's something that you would like to understand how to apply the teachings that I've been sharing into your life or if you've even seen teachings in other places and you're curious about why I maybe don't teach those things or I teach differently than what you've seen other places. So feel free to open up to any and all questions that you like. The way that you ask questions is put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. The moderators will see that, and be sure your question gets asked during the class. Or you can electronically raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. So I'll just turn things over to all of you guys.
4: Um, yes, sir. Tony has his hand raised.
3: Let's go to him first. Question, sir. Thank you, sir. I've got a couple questions. Uh, firstly. Uh, now, having been practicing for a while now, I'm starting to be able to stay on the breath quite well, uh, for quite a long time. My mind, is, for example, today and, and different days have different impermanence. So today, for example, maybe half a dozen times, my mind went off into thinking. But I was, but I, I find I was having a lot of thoughts where uh, of the present, like I, I'm sitting with the, in the car with the door open or windows open. I could hear some birds, so I hear the birds, but I'm still staying on the breath. I can feel my heart beating, still staying on the breath. Uh, what you, what's your 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 teachings on this? So you're still sort of staying I'm so, sort of on the breath, but these other feelings type of thing are.
1: Yeah, this is one- hearings. Yeah, this is wonderful, Tony. So if you're observing that the mind is starting to get quieted a bit and kind of a little bit stilled and then occasionally the mind is moving off the breath, This is what you'll experience as you're training and you're practicing and you're accumulating more and more of the benefits, where when we first start, the mind is typically bombarded and there's just all kinds of thoughts and random things going on. And, you know, we don't even know if we're on the breath or not sometimes when we first get started. But after you accumulate some benefits, you know, three months, six months, you start seeing that this is all accumulating to a quieting and a stilling of the mind and If the mind goes off the breath and you hear the birds or you feel the wind blowing or whatever it is this is completely normal you haven't done anything wrong even when the mind is enlightened it's still going to move off the breath occasionally but the difference is that now you should be so aware that the mind is off the breath that you're catching it sooner and sooner we early in practice. The mind could be off the breath for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. We're like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm meditating. Come back here. But now as you accumulate these benefits, you know, you can notice it sooner and sooner and you can let go of the thought easier and easier. And that's what you're really working towards. So you're not working to the point where you will keep the mind focused on the breath always throughout meditation that's not going to be possible. There's going to be an occasional thought in meditation. But if you're having the awareness, i.e. mindfulness, awareness of mind or mindfulness that, hey, the mind had just moved off the breath. I'm not interested in that occurring. Cut that off, let it go and come back to the breath. If you're able to do that, then you're accomplishing what you need to accomplish in meditation.
3: Thank you, sir. Another question. I was listening to uh, to a uh, YouTube video of uh, of a teacher, and he's saying uh, his his uh, his teachings on on uh, enlightenment was getting in touch with our feelings, so to feel things uh, and then be able to ride that out, positive or negative, and and. Uh, be we'll to ride those out and eventually, eventually the feelings come up and there's really nothing, you're, you're, you're uh, uh, at peace with whatever it is, whether it's discomfortable or comfortable. And I know uh, in, in your teachings, it's whenever you have a feeling, go to the, uh, go to the breath, come back to the, to the breath. Could you give me your directions on this, sir?
1: Sure. When you look at the teachings of the Buddha on the four foundations of mindfulness and what he shares about breathing mindfulness meditation and just his really his entire path as a whole comprehensively, You can see what the ultimate goal is in the enlightened mental state is that you're no longer experiencing conditioned feelings, the pleasant feelings, the painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. Instead, the mind is just permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But this is unconditioned, meaning these peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, it doesn't arise, it doesn't change, and it doesn't fade away. You wake up, Peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy, all day long. Peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy. You go to bed. Peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy. What we experience in the unenlightened mental state is we experience this arising of feelings, these changing of feelings, and these fading away of feelings. So this is because the mind is basing its inner feelings on some impermanent condition. So when you look at the path as a whole, and specifically you look at the four foundations of mindfulness. You can see that what the Buddha is teaching is to eliminate these conditioned feelings where you don't experience the arising, changing, and fading away, but the mind is just permanently in this mental state of peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. There's no longer these strong feelings that are coming into the mind. And the way that you do that is with mindfulness, awareness of mind, and practicing the four foundations of mindfulness, that those four foundations of mindfulness are being aware of the bodily sensations being aware of the feelings being aware of the condition of the mind how the feelings will affect the condition of the mind for a couple of hours or a couple of days and then there's these mental objects so when you're aware of these four things then you can see what the buddha is actually teaching is he's teaching to cut off the arising of conditioned feelings as bodily sensations that you have such awareness of mind or mindfulness that you're aware of this discontentedness this conditioned feelings arising you can observe it as bodily sensations so like before the mind gets angry there's going to be probably some tingling in the body there's going to be some heat some people feel maybe some pressure on the chest different people have different feelings but based on whatever pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant are arising, there's going to be some bodily sensations that precede that. And if you can get the awareness of mind of those bodily sensations, and you can cut off the arising of discontentedness there, then the feelings never come into the mind. And what we're talking about here is conditioned feelings, those conditioned feelings based on some impermanent condition. So if you can cut it off and let it go there, then it never pollutes the mind with these discontent feelings. And the Buddha explains that somebody who's able to do this, where they're aware of the bodily sensations, and they're able to easily cut them off and let them go there, he says this person is very near to enlightenment. Because eventually, once you get to that point where the mind is able to observe the bodily sensations and cut them off and let them go, eventually you get to the point where the craving desire attachments that are causing the arising of discontentedness to even produce the bodily sensations, they've been eliminated. So now that no matter what happens in your life, you don't even feel the arising of bodily sensations anymore. So in the past, if you heard somebody say something agreeable about you, like, Oh, Tony's such a nice, friendly guy. He's so lovable. You know, I just enjoy being around Tony so much. You might've felt these pleasant feelings come into the mind and there's these bodily sensations that occur before that. But then when somebody says something disagreeable or degrading about this being Tony, then there's these bodily sensations associated with anger or frustration that's arising in the mind. So you can get to the point where you're cutting all of that stuff off, where when somebody compliments you and says, oh, Tony's such a great and lovable guy, you might just say, oh, thank you. I appreciate your kind words or whatever you might say, but you don't have this pleasantness and this this happiness and excitement that comes into the mind because somebody's said something agreeable. And because that the mind no longer has that craving and it doesn't experience that, then you won't experience the painful feelings. When somebody says something disagreeable, you won't feel sadness or anger or frustration. You won't even have any arising of bodily sensations. You can be in a situation where somebody talks negatively about you or to you or what have you, and you just hear it and you just understand that it's impermanence, that not everybody's going to absolutely love you and think you're the absolute best guy in the face of the earth. And that there's beings walking around with craving, anger, and ignorance in the mind, lacking wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. And because of that, they're going to be speaking in disparaging ways. And just because they speak in disparaging ways doesn't mean you need to get angry or upset about it. That just see true reality for what it is, which is craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. So the way that you get to this, where you can remain unaffected, that's what the Buddha uses the words. He says, remain unaffected, that the mind is unaffected. It's not shaken up. It's not unsteady. It's not uncommon. Instead, it's just the opposite. It's stable. It's steady. It's calm this is what you're actually going for. If you're allowing the feelings to come into the mind, now it's actually polluting the mind and it's going to affect the condition of the mind for a few hours or a few days and then it feeds the mental objects. The mental objects are things like sensual desire or ill will or things of this nature. As long as we're allowing the discontentedness to blow past the bodily sensations, blow past the feelings, start affecting the condition of mind, then it's going to feed these mental objects. And there's this ill will or the central desire or these other mental objects that are in the mind that are now more difficult to uproot. And this is aligned with the fetters, for example. A lot of the fetters the pollutions of mind or the taints these are mental objects and as long as those are deeply embedded in the mind then the conditions that are causing the mind to go up and down and up and down haven't been removed. So when we remove the 10 fetters, we eliminate them, we eradicate them. The Buddha described it as destroying them and obliterating them. When he talks about this, obliterating the 10 fetters, obliterating the taints, when you eliminate those from the mind, then the conditions that are causing it, these discontent feelings to bounce around, You know, anger, sadness, frustration, happiness, excitement, thrill, boredom, loneliness, guilt, shame, fear, all of these feelings that the unenlightened mind is experiencing, by eliminating those 10 fetters, you're removing the conditions that are causing the mind to do that. But you can't do that if you allow the feelings to come into the mind because it's going to affect the condition of the mind. It's going to feed these mental objects. So by being aware of it at the bodily sensations and cutting it off and letting it go there, you're essentially removing the craving-desire attachment from allowing this discontentedness to arise in the mind, what you're gaining is you're gaining the mental discipline of being able to control the mind. Because before being aware of this, we don't have control of the mind. Essentially, something happens. We hear something, we see something, we smell something, we taste something, there's some bodily contact, there's something in the mind and right away the mind arises these conditioned feelings it blows past the bodily sensations goes to feelings condition of mind and so forth because the mind is undisciplined but as you train the mind it gets very disciplined where now you can control it fully that as soon as you're aware of those bodily sensations boom you can cut it off and let it go and you avoid any is coming into the mind, and then ultimately you get to the point where there's not even the arising of those bodily sensations.
3: Yeah, this guy, I think a thing that I missed with, uh, with this particular uh, teaching was that it was dealing with addictions as well, whether it's food or, or drugs or, or whatever. The, the underlying reason for the addiction is uh, the craving for pleasure. So anyway, yes. So thank you, sir. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. So all those addictions, you know, whether it's drugs or food or gambling or sex or shopping or whatever it is, this is all craving, desire, attachment. The mind is operating through that craving, desire, attachment, that yearning and longing. So that mental discipline part of the Eightfold Path, where so far I've been talking right now in this response about mindfulness, right? Mindfulness, the four foundations of mindfulness. Well, once you have mindfulness established, and you got the four foundations of mindfulness well-established, then it's right effort. Applying the effort to eliminate the unwholesome and arise the wholesome. That's those four aspects of right effort. So this mental discipline is essentially you gaining control over the mind. And what right mindfulness is doing is alerting you and making you aware of the process that the mind experiences as discontentedness arises. And when you become aware of this process that the mind goes through and you have awareness of it now you can take action and apply right effort to eliminate the unwholesomeness that's arising and any wholesomeness you can cultivate it and bring it into the mind and this is what purifies the mind this path to enlightenment is a purification of the mind where you're eliminating the unwholesome and you're arising the wholesome and that's why eventually you get to the point where when the mind's enlightened there is no more unwholesomeness in the mind you're only experiencing wholesomeness because you've transformed the mind and you fully purified it and you're no longer experiencing any discontentedness whatsoever
4: yes sir uh, we have a few questions on youtube uh, Tricia asks hello sir once a being has reached enlightenment what is the benefit of continued meditation
1: once the mind reaches enlightenment this is when all the ten fetters have been eliminated and there the discontentedness has been eliminated, and you're no longer going to be reborn in the cycle of rebirth. However, as you continue to meditate, there's going to be increased benefits of more concentration and more focus. So while we say that someone's enlightened when they eliminate the ten fetters, this person is an otter hunt or enlightened. There's actually continued growth, continued evolution, continued ascending of the mind beyond what you're experiencing in the enlightened mental state so the mind is enlightened it's an arahant meaning there's no more ten fetters but there's increased degrees of concentration and clarity of mind that comes as you continue to meditate once the mind's actually enlightened and this Have to enlightenment. You know, it's not quick. It's not a three month thing or a six month thing. It's a multiple year journey, and you will have developed really wise habits and wholesome things like meditation, where you're meditating regularly, and you know that this is what led to your enlightenment is your meditation, because when you meditate, you can observe the benefits and improvements to the condition of the mind yourself. So once the mind is enlightened, and you're experiencing that peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. You're not going to give up on something that you know has been so beneficial to you. So you're going to continue to do it. So like the first time you went to the dentist and you realized at some point that you had all these cavities and then you started brushing your teeth really well and you realize like, I need to keep brushing my teeth to keep cleaning my mouth so that I don't end up with more cavities. And you realize that this was beneficial for you. So the mind's never going to get polluted again once it's enlightened. But there's continued degrees of concentration that you can experience and focus and clarity of mind beyond just what you experience in the enlightened mental state. And remember, this is a gradual thing too. And one of the things that I teach is to never convince the mind that you're actually enlightened. Because let's just say that somebody's worked really long on this path and they've gotten to the point where they feel that all the ten fetters are eliminated. But let's just say they're not. Let's just say that that person isn't fully observing their mind because it's a challenge to fully observe your own mind, particularly when there's conceit and ego still in the mind. So let's just say somebody thinks they're actually enlightened, but they're really not. And now they decide to give up on meditation and they stop meditating. So now they think they're enlightened, they're really not, they've stopped meditating and now their mind isn't gonna ascend any further. So rather than convince the mind that it's actually enlightened because that ego is always in there trying to convince you that you're more enlightened than you really are because the ego doesn't wanna leave. And if it can convince you that you're more enlightened than you really are, then the mind might become complacent and the ego can stick around for a little bit longer. It's like this bad tenant. Every time you think you've kicked it out, it shows back up. So this ego is always in there trying to convince you that you're more enlightened than you really are. So by never convincing yourself you're enlightened, stay dedicated to the path, continuing to practice things like meditation for the long term then you can see that even when you think that the mind is enlightened and there's no more discontentedness, you can actually continue to ascend and get higher and higher degrees of wisdom and concentration that's only going to help you in your life.
4: Thank you, sir. You're welcome. And then, don't be the last man asks, is it possible to meditate throughout the day or is this called mindfulness?
1: Yeah. So what's happening throughout the day is mindfulness or awareness of mind. Some people talk about, you know, meditating throughout the day. But if you understand what meditation is, you'll realize that you can't meditate while you're driving or you can't meditate while you're gardening or you're exercising or you're riding a bike or you're walking your dog. You actually can't meditate during those times because what meditation is, is it's an active, dedicated, independent purposeful training session where you're either eliminating certain unwholesome qualities or arising certain wholesome qualities in the mind. So you're eliminating through breathing mindfulness meditation, craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing and strong eagerness that when the mind's on the breath, it wants to run over here, it wants to run over here. It doesn't want to stay in one spot. So we're eliminating craving, desire, attachment by focusing on the breath through this dedicated, active, purposeful training session. And we're arising the qualities of mindfulness or awareness of mind, and we're arising concentration or singleness of mind. That's what's happening in breathing mindfulness meditation. And you can only do that for a period of time, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, what have you. But when we're driving, we're driving. When we're exercising, we're exercising. The Buddha made this very clear in his teachings where he says, do one thing at a time. Remain and reside and develop and cultivate singleness of mind. So he says when you're walking, you're walking. When you're eating, you're eating. When you're talking, you're talking. When you're sitting, you're sitting. So rather than try to talk on the phone, watch TV, and eat a sandwich, which the mind is just going to rapidly cycle from thing to thing to thing, you're not actually doing three things at a time. You're just doing one thing for three, four, five, six seconds. You're doing another thing, three, four, five, six seconds. You're doing another thing for three, four, five, six seconds. And we're training the mind to rapidly cycle like this in what we might call multitasking. But then we get to the point where we don't understand why we can't concentrate. Why don't we have a good attention? Why don't we have good memory? Why don't we have good concentration? Well, it's because we've trained the mind to rapidly cycle like that. So what we're doing all day long is we're practicing mindfulness or awareness of mind, being aware of unwholesome qualities and being aware of wholesome qualities so that wherever we see unwholesome qualities arise, we cut that off and let it go and eliminate it. And wherever we see wholesome qualities, we're trying to encourage those, support those, and don't allow them to fade. And if we see certain wholesome qualities that are not yet in the mind, we're applying the effort to bring those into the mind. So it's mindfulness that's allowing us to be aware of the unwholesome and the wholesome so that we can eliminate the unwholesome and arise the wholesome. And also that mindfulness is doing what I was just discussing with Tony, which is being aware of any arising discontentedness so that you can be diligent and cut that off and let it go before it comes into the mind. And this is how you practice all day long. The Buddha explains that mindfulness is always useful, always, 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 every waking hour, even as you're dozing off at night on your pillow, if the mind has mindfulness or awareness of mind. As you're dozing off, if you're having unwholesome thoughts, you cut those off and let them go. Or in the morning when you're gradually waking up, you start practicing mindfulness right away so that if you have unwholesome thoughts, you cut those off and let them go. Or if you're observing wholesome thoughts, you support those, you encourage them, you allow them to permeate in the mind. So we're doing this dedicated, active, purposeful training session of meditation two to three times a day, 30 minutes or more. That's what you would like to build up to. But then all other times, including your meditation, you're practicing mindfulness always, always, always.
4: Thank you, sir. They follow up to ask how to limit the craving to meditate as life is busy and I have a goal to meditate at least three times a day, 30 minutes each time.
1: Right. So if you're observing craving, desire, attachment to meditation, meaning the mind is having this longing or yearning, like some people might hurry up to go meditate. This is an indication that there's craving there if they're kind of in a hurry. Or if you're angry when you don't meditate or you're frustrated or irritated when you don't meditate, this means that there's attachment to meditation. There's a craving, desire, attachment. And here's where You can see that there's no such thing as a wholesome attachment so if you're observing that the mind is attached to meditation then what you should do is you should bounce your meditation around to different times so if the mind is wanting this fixed time of 8 a.m and 9 p.m and it wants to meditate at exactly the same time for exactly the same length all the time instead move it around you know sometimes do it at 7 sometimes do it at 9 30 sometimes do it at 10. don't allow the mind to fixate or obsess over the meditation and move it around and then maybe occasionally if you're well established in your meditation practice maybe occasionally even skip meditation for a day and train the mind that it's not going to always get what it wants now We should be meditating two or three times a day consistently, but if you miss a day, it's okay if you know what you're doing is you're training the mind to not be attached to meditation because if you keep giving it what it wants, then it's going to stay attached. It's going to have this craving-desire attachment. So what you'd like to do is bounce it around to different times where you're not giving it any ability to crave and get fixated on any permanence with your meditation, and then occasionally skip a meditation just to prove to the mind that, okay, you can maintain your contentedness when you don't meditate. It's okay. So if you're doing two or three sessions in a day, you know, skip one or two here and there, skip a day here and there just to train the mind that it's okay. And then keep your consistent practice where you're meditating two or three times a day. And remember that all these things that you're doing in life, you would like to progress towards them as a goal, an objective, or an interest, where you're not yearning and longing. You're not having that mental longing and strong eagerness. So that goal that you were describing, that objective, that interest to meditate two or three times a day is the way you would like to think about it. So that if you aren't able to meditate in a day, it's okay. You know, you don't have to be discontent because you missed meditation today. Because your enlightenment isn't going to be determined based on if you miss meditation today. Instead, your enlightenment is going to be determined based on the next two, three, four, five years, are you able to consistently meditate on an ongoing, consistent basis over the next two, three, four, five years. So if you miss meditation for one day, okay, that's fine. Let me be sure I get my meditation in tomorrow. And then that way you can ensure that the mind isn't discontent when you're missing meditation, and you can build up your meditation practice so that you are getting two or three times a day, but realizing that because of impermanence, there's going to be times where you miss meditation. Thank you, sir. You're welcome.
4: When when we are noticing that someone else is trying to begin meditating, but they're maybe using tools that are within wrong view um, I have a coworker that she's suffering from anxiety and has all of these books that she brought in to show me mm-hmm. and they had all these tools about meditate thinking about this and meditate focusing on that and I relayed to her how you have been teaching meditation and how that's helped in my own practice and in my own life um, but she seems a bit like she's clinging to these books that she has purchased, and she seems like she wants to follow that. How would be, what would be some good ways to guide her towards seeing that this is wrong view and that more helpful would be meditation, where we're just cutting off and letting go of thoughts?
1: Yeah. So what you described is good by sharing, you know, this has been my experience. This is what I do. This is what's benefited me. You're observing that they're attached to what they purchased and what they're currently reading. You know, maybe they need to read those and see that it doesn't work. And that can be one of the things you can ask. You can say, you know, is it working? Are you noticing that your mind is more calm, more peaceful after doing this meditation in this way? But also, relieve yourself of having to convince them that what they're doing is not what the Buddha taught. You know, you can encourage, you can try to help them, but ultimately everybody's on their own journey. And if they're not interested, if they're hearing what you're saying, but they're just not progressing forward or choosing to do the same things that you do, you just got to let go and just realize, all right, this being is where they're at. You know, they're off into those books and they're clinging to those books and i've shared what i've shared and i've attempted to help and they're just not choosing to meditate in the way that we know from the buddha that absolutely works and just let go and realize like okay they've got to choose for themselves of what's going to work and what's not going to work we know the truth in terms of what the buddha shared but not everybody's interested in knowing that truth not everybody's interested in doing the work to experience that truth. And then there's some people who feel that, you know, buying books is what's going to bring them what they need, right? They have a craving to buy, like this free book. I don't, I don't want that free book. I want to buy these books, right? And then there's somehow, you know, some kind of value in the purchase, right? There's even some people who would rather learn from a ordained practitioner with an orange robe and tan skin from thailand and broken english and they feel like that's more appealing to them than someone who's from america living in thailand wearing white you know i don't want to learn from that guy i want to learn from the one with the orange robe and the asian the asian person you know so everybody's got these kind of perceptions and judgments and these clinging and cravings and you can try to help you can try to encourage you can try to offer advice through speaking about your own experience but ultimately you get to the end of that sometimes people just aren't hearing you people just have their cravings and that craving there's so much pollution in the mind what you're saying is just not getting through and it's okay you just have to let go and know that you shared what you shared and if they would like to take action on it you're more than willing to help them but if they're not taking action on it then just let go that's the part where the buddha says a noble disciple has eliminated craving and worry for the world that you're no longer craving to help the world you're no longer worried about the world you might be concerned you see that there's all these problems in the world and you now are starting to know the the solutions because you're implementing them in your own mind in your own practice but Craving and worrying about what others are doing isn't going to help you get to enlightenment It's just going to cause discontentedness So share what you can share and then just let go and if they would like to seek more understanding from you You're always there and willing to help them
4: Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. You're welcome Uh, Rick has his hand raised. Let's go to him for his question,
3: sir Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um uh, this is kind of a theoretical, but I just wanted to know because it does pertain to practice. You mentioned today about using mindfulness first to become aware of the different mind states, and then using right effort and uh, or wise effort, appropriate effort. And I was just wondering because when the 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 uh, the eightfold path was presented, they chose a certain order, and in this order, right effort came before mindfulness. So I was wondering if you could speak to that. Is it something that, you know, with mindfulness, and concentration, and effort, that it's all kind of happening at the same time? Or, you know, I just was wondering what you had to say about that.
1: Sure. Yeah, these things in the Eightfold Path, they are in a certain order, but they don't happen in exactly that same order. So we're all we're always practicing all eight steps at all times. As you first get started, you're kind of ramping up each piece of the Eightfold Path, maybe individually. But over time, as you get more and more proficient in understanding the Eightfold Path and practicing it, you're actually practicing all eight at the same time, and you're kind of dialing in each one closer and closer and closer. So while you have right view, for example, you might practice like you know that it's craving, desire, attachment that's causing your discontentedness. You're taking responsibility for your own feelings. You know that you need to work on improving your own condition of mind. Okay, that's the foundation. That's right view. You need to establish that. But then right intention, having the right intention, by having that, yes, it allows us to speak and have actions that are more wholesome in livelihood, our moral conduct. And then there's this right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. But also those things are dependent on each other. And they're also dependent on things like right view and right intention. So while they're eight steps, they're not like in a sequential order in terms of they have to be practiced in that order because you're practicing all eight at the same time. And you're dialing in each one closer and closer to the ideal. Thank you, sir. You're welcome.
4: Yes, sir, on YouTube, Don't Be the Last Man asks. There is a friend who is interested in meditation, but the word Buddha seems to be an obstacle due to her different religion. How to introduce her to attend your class?
1: Sure. If I were you, I would look at what religion she's currently practicing. I don't consider Buddhist teachings a religion. I consider it a better way of life and a a method and a path of how to train the mind. So if they're practicing Christianity, which a lot of people in the world are, oftentimes they don't realize that meditation is referenced over 20 times in the Bible. They don't realize this. So sometimes if it's a Christian, you can mention that and it can help them with that. Also, if they're a Christian, helping them understand that the Buddha isn't a god, you're not worshiping him you're just learning and practicing his teachings. He's not a lord. He's not a prophet. He's a teacher who shared teachings to help people experience this better way of life and get to this enlightened mental state. So these are a few things that can help. Perhaps if they are interested in talking privately, that might sometimes help. Sometimes coming to a class is a bit of a big step. You know, It often helps to take little baby steps. If talking privately with me isn't something that they're open to, they might be open to reading a little bit first. In the very first chapter of this book, I talk about the connections between Buddhism, Christianity, Muslim teachings, Hinduism, and other traditions, so that they can see that they're not turning their back on these other traditions of what they've learned, But instead, it's like a continuation of learning and growth. So whatever they've learned so far, whether it be Muslim teachings, Christian teachings, Judaism, or what have you, it's gotten them to where they are today in life. And now, by learning and practicing additional teachings from the Buddha, it's like an evolution, a continuation of a process of inner development and inner growth and helping them understand that that's what the Buddha focused on is this inner growth, this inner development. It's essentially the Best self-help program that I've ever seen because it's been around for over 2,500 years. It's well vetted. It's well tested. It's well tried. You know, so it's been around for all these years for a reason because it works. So helping them see that it's not a religion. It's not a worship. It's not a rites, ritual, ceremonies, and worship. It's about learning wisdom not belief, but learning wisdom to train the mind and experience this better way of life, this can oftentimes be helpful. So perhaps some of those suggestions might be helpful for you to suggest to them. And then the last thing that I'll share is that I started making these uh, small little videos, which I'm gonna probably be making over 60 of them. I have nine of them now that are like kind of like seven to 12 minutes long. It's called mini lessons. There's mini lessons one through nine now. And they're on our YouTube channel. And the very first one is an introduction to the path to enlightenment. Sometimes just sending this. I think it's like the first one's maybe 11 minutes or 12 minutes long. Sometimes just looking at these little mini videos can be really helpful because it kind of puts a, a good amount of information in a small package and they can learn that and kind of get this exposure to what the path to enlightenment is so that they can better understand that they're not turning their back on what they've learned before that it's just this evolution and they can get these little small little bites and these little mini lessons that i created so some of those options can be potentially helpful for her and for you to help them thank
4: you sir they also ask does meditation and is meditation in christianity different than what
1: the buddha taught i haven't seen exact guidance in the bible about how jesus taught meditation i would say that it's different without understanding 100% of what Jesus taught in terms of meditation, but it's just referenced in the Bible. I've seen all the different references where Jesus is depicted in the Bible as encouraging people to meditate, but it, I don't I haven't seen anywhere where it explains exactly how to meditate. So from that perspective, we can say, yes, that the meditation between what's taught in Christianity versus the Buddhist teachings is different. Because remember, the Buddha's path is focused on eliminating pollution of mind so that by eliminating that unwholesome qualities that we arise this wholesome. And what Jesus was doing was essentially the same, but he was Teaching it based on this central focus of God, of getting closer to God, and that was like the whole purpose of his teachings, and convincing people that there was only one God. Where in the Buddhist teachings, he never said this, but by getting a more pure mind and a more wholesome mind, if somebody believes in God and understands God, then by getting a more pure mind, you are getting closer to God. You are functioning more as a godly being or like Jesus, because that's typically what Christians are taught is to function more like Jesus, more wholesome, more pure. And that's what the Buddhist teachings are helping to guide somebody to do, even though the Buddha didn't make God as a central focus in his teachings. And that's not the purpose of getting to enlightenment but somebody who has an understanding of god can understand that yeah when i purify my mind of craving anger and ignorance and the unknowing of true reality when i eliminate the ten fetters i can see how my mind would be more pure and i would function like a more wholesome human being which would ultimately bring me in a closer relationship with god and that's ultimately what jesus was teaching and the Buddha's teachings can help somebody accomplish that where they understand that what the Buddha was talking about with enlightenment is what Jesus was talking about with the Holy Spirit. And when they see these two things as being similar, just different words that were being used, then somebody can say, ah, the Buddha is not a Lord. He didn't say he's a prophet. We're not worshiping him. We're not praising him. So I can actually learn these teachings and kind of complement." what I learned in Christianity or Muslim teachings or what have you. I can use these Buddhist teachings to complement what I already understand and enhance what I understand and actually help me accomplish a better relationship with God if that's what they're interested in. But ultimately, what the Buddha is guiding people to is to have a more pure mind so that you can eliminate the pollution that's causing it to be shaken up and you can get to this peaceful calm serene and content mind with joy which the buddha called enlightenment and jesus referred to as the holy spirit
4: yes thank you sir you're welcome it does not appear there are any other questions at this time sir
1: All right. Well, thank you all for your questions. Thank you to the moderators for contributing to supporting the class. I appreciate you guys coming together in order to support, encourage, and motivate each other. It's wonderful to hear the questions that you guys are asking, because this helps me to understand where you're at on the path through the questions that you're asking. And also helps to share understanding and teachings with other members of the community because when you guys ask questions other people hear the answers to those not just in the live classes but in the recordings people attend and listen to the replay A lot more so even than the people who come to the live classes there's a certain amount of people who come to the live classes but the audience who listens to the replays are actually much bigger so these questions are helping you they're helping all the people around you and they're helping all of humanity as We share these teachings more and more in the world and help the Buddhist teachings to shine in the world so that others can learn and practice the wisdom of the Buddha and getting to this point where the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So this Sunday in the group learning program, I will be sharing chapter 16, which is Dissolving the Ego. Ego serves no purpose. This is very, very helpful for your path to enlightenment. An enlightened being isn't gonna have an ego. They will dissolve the ego. So I'm gonna explain to you what the ego is and how to eliminate it. And help you understand the complications that one experiences when there is ego in the mind so that you understand the importance of eliminating it and then actually how to eliminate it. So we'll be doing that on Sunday. And then next Wednesday, we'll be doing loving-kindness meditation together as we come together, support, encourage and motivate each other in our meditation practice. So I'll see you guys either Sunday or Wednesday, perhaps all of those days. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. We'll see you in a future class. Sawadhikha Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support
0: for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward/support Buddha.